the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Some of the leading spokesmen of the prosperity gospel have made statements such as these. I'm going to quote. This first quote is from Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. He said, and I quote, Poverty is a curse that comes upon those who either have not served God properly or who are not following certain laws of God or are temporarily in transit to one of God's destinations, whatever that may mean. I have no idea what that last statement means. But E.W. Kenyon, who is the father of the modern faith movement, said this, you are suffering because you have refused your place in Christ. Fred Price, who is a television speaker, said this, you as a Christian are supposed to be the master of your circumstances. There is no way in the world you can reign as a king in life and be poverty stricken. So let's put this together. According to these men, if you are suffering, if you have difficult circumstances, if you haven't much money, then you are in serving God or you have refused your place in Christ, or you are a slave to circumstances. That's basically what they are saying, and that's very frightening. That's scary, and you know why it's scary? Because... You are going to have to wait a few minutes to find out how Pastor Steve is going to finish that sentence. Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. It might seem that false teachers are a modern-day phenomena in some of our churches. At least, that's what I used to think. On our broadcast today, we're going to take a look at another facet of Paul's suffering. Our series is titled, The Incomparable Christ. It's taken from Colossians chapter 1, and today we will be focusing on verses 24 through 28. Here is Pastor Steve Kreloff with today's Verse by Verse. In recent years, we have heard a great deal about the gospel of health and wealth and happiness. We've heard it primarily from the TV evangelists, radio evangelists, and sometimes you hear such phrases as, name it and claim it. Sickness is all in your head. Jesus wants you well. In that system, and in their system of theology, there isn't much room for suffering, for difficult circumstances, or for troubles. Some of the leading spokesmen of the prosperity gospel have made statements such as these. I'm going to quote. This first quote is from Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. He said, and I quote, Poverty is a curse that comes upon those who either have not served God properly or who are not following certain laws of God or are temporarily in transit 
to one of God's destinations, whatever that may mean. I have no idea what that last statement means. But E.W. Kenyon, who is the father of the modern faith movement, said this, you are suffering because you have refused your place in Christ. Fred Price, who is a television speaker, said this, you as a Christian are supposed to be the master of your circumstances. There is no way in the world you can reign as a king in life and be poverty stricken. So let's put this together. According to these men, if you are suffering, if you have difficult circumstances, if you haven't much money, then you are in serving God. Or you have refused your place in Christ, or you are a slave to circumstances. That's basically what they are saying, and that's very frightening. That's scary, and you know why it's scary? Because it sounds very much like what the false teachers in Colossae must have been saying about the Apostle Paul as they tried to discredit his ministry because they must have suggested to the Colossians, that Paul's theology was defective because Paul's life was defective. In other words, they must have said, look, this Paul preaches a supernatural Christ who is God, he says. He's the image of the invisible God. This Christ is the head of the church. He's the creator. He is the sovereign one. He is the reconciler. And if that's so true, if Paul serves such a magnificent supernatural Christ, why is he in Rome in prison? Why is he suffering so? Why isn't he here with you? Why isn't he out evangelizing? Why is he stuck in jail under house arrest in Rome. You see, something must be wrong not only with Paul's theology, but something must be defective in Paul's life. And so they challenged Paul's ministry. They challenged his life. And throughout the New Testament, whenever Paul's ministry was challenged, Paul defended it, not for his own sake, but for the sake of God's people, that they might understand he's a true apostle, he's a true servant, he truly represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, With that challenge to his ministry and his message in mind, Paul defends his ministry at the end of Colossians chapter 1. So let's turn to Colossians 1. If you aren't there already, we've been studying this magnificent letter to this church at Colossae made up primarily of Gentile believers, new believers. And Paul, beginning in verse 24, going to the end of the chapter in verse 29, defends his ministry. Now, last time we were together, we looked at the first two verses, but we're going to continue that this morning and we'll take it all in context. We'll read from verse 24 on. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions of this church. I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This passage is about Paul defending, as I said, his ministry. And basically what he does is give several reasons why life was so hard for him. 
it wasn't because his theology was defective, and it certainly wasn't because his life was defective as a Christian. It was because he loved the church. And as you read through this passage of Scripture, you see certain phrases that ought to jump out at you that indicate that Paul was suffering for the sake of God's people. had nothing to do with himself. It wasn't a self-inflicted kind of pain. It was for the sake and the love of the church. For example, you see in verse 24 the phrase, and now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. It's not for me, it's for you. And then verse 25, he says of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. It's not for me, I'm in prison for you. And if you jump down to verse 28, the end of it, he says, I'm doing this all that we may present every man complete in Christ. I'm doing this to build maturity into you. It's not for me. I'm ministering, I'm serving, I'm suffering, and I'm doing it for the love of the church. I care about God's people. And that's really what this passage of Scripture is about. Now, two weeks ago, we started looking at the reasons, specifically the reasons Paul gives for why life was so hard for him. And just by way of quick review, he said the first reason that life was so hard for him is that he suffered for the church. He suffered for the church. All of it centers around the church. In verse 24, he said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He rejoiced in his sufferings because his sufferings came as a result of his ministry to the Gentiles, primarily. He was in Jerusalem, and he said that God has given me this message and I go to the Gentiles, and when they heard Gentiles, they said, away with such a man as this. He doesn't deserve to live. Jewish pride and Jewish jealousy rose up and said, we'll not hear this man. And to make a very long story short, he ends up in jail in Rome. But it's for your sake, he says, because he told Gentiles that they could come to Jesus Christ for salvation. That's why he was arrested. He says in verse 24 that he did his share on behalf of the body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He's saying, in essence, God's people suffer, and I suffer for God's people because the world still hates Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's lacking in the death of Christ. What's lacking is the fact that people want to still beat Jesus and hurt Jesus and kill Jesus, but they can't touch him because he's physically in heaven, so they come after us. He suffered for the church. In fact, suffering for Christ is not an indication that anything is wrong in your spiritual life. It's an indication that you're living a normal Christian life. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, he said not only is it given for you to have faith in Christ, but it's also a gift that you suffer for him. You know that. It's probably not a gift that you particularly want, but it's given to you as a gift to even suffer for Jesus Christ. It is the normal Christian life if you live godly in Christ Jesus. There's nothing wrong with Paul. It's not out of the will of God, as some of these prosperity gospel preachers are saying. They apparently have never really understood Paul's ministry and Paul's life when they make such unbiblical statements as we just read. So the first reason he had such a hard life was that he suffered for the church. The second reason life was so hard is that he served the church. He suffered and he served the church. Verse 25, he speaks about being made a minister. That's the word for servant, a minister according to the stewardship which God bestowed on me for your benefit. He says he was a preacher. He might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Paul's trouble sprang from the fact that God had made him a minister to the church. And it was for serving the church as a preacher that he had so much trouble. That's what he's saying. He was a steward, which means that God entrusted this to him. This was his ministry. 
Now you may, as we said before, you may not be a preacher. You may not be in the spotlight. You may not have a public teaching ministry, but you've been given a spiritual gift and probably a unique combination of spiritual gifts. A unique combination of spiritual gifts you've been given to use, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the church, to edify the church. And so the question is, what are you doing? And we left you with that last time. That incredible question, what are you doing? to benefit the body of Christ. If you're not doing anything, you're out of the will of God. You're out of the will of God and you're self-centered. And it's wrong. Paul's ministry was to proclaim God's word. Now in verses 26 and 27, we didn't look at this last time. This is where we're going to pick it up now. He reveals the specific message he preached that caused him so much trouble. So as we continue looking at the fact that he served the church, let's really get into this text as we look at verses 26 and 27. This is his message. That is, and he's going to tell us the specific message of the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The content of Paul's message is called by him a mystery. Now, what is a mystery? When today we think of the term mystery, we often confuse it with something that is mysterious, a little frightening, a little eerie, a case that's difficult to solve, unsolved mysteries. That's what we think of a mystery. That's not what the Bible means by mystery. In Paul's day, when someone said mystery in the context of not the New Testament, in just the Greek world, The concept of mystery meant that they had what was called mystery religions. For those who were initiated into these mystery religions, you had to go through certain rites, secret rites and ceremonies and rituals. Those were the mysteries. Those were the mysteries of the religion. For an elite few, only if you got into that fraternity of religion did you know that mystery. Paul's using it differently. Paul's using the word in a different way. Paul doesn't use the word mystery to describe a secret right for an elite few, but rather a truth that's now revealed to all believers. It's not a secret anymore. It's a truth that's revealed. He says, and I want you to read again, verse 26, that is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations. That is, nobody knew about it, but God, it was hidden in the heart and minds of God. But now, meaning now in the New Testament era, has been manifested to his saints, not to an elite few, not to the super duper saints, but all believers now have this mystery revealed to them. You see, this truth he's saying was hidden in the Old Testament era. Old Testament believers didn't know about this. It was never written down by the prophets, never revealed to Moses. Nobody knew about this until God chose at the right moment with the writing of the New Testament to reveal this truth. And what specifically is this mystery? What is this truth that nobody knew about until the New Testament writers, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote it down? It's found in verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery was a truth, first of all, especially for Gentiles. Now, it was for all believers, but it especially concerned Gentiles. 
And the truth, and here's the mystery, the truth was that Christ would dwell in them and this indwelling would be their hope of glory. The hope of glory is the mystery that Christ would dwell in them, which is the hope of heaven. That's the mystery. Now, let me explain this so that you understand exactly what Paul is talking about. And this is why he got in so much trouble, by the way. The Old Testament taught that salvation was not only for Jews, but it was also for Gentiles. And that with the coming of the Messiah, many Gentiles would be saved. Salvation has always been open to all. But obviously, in the Old Testament era, the message was revealed to Israel. God's revelation was given to Israel, but there were Gentiles who were saved. You have men like Melchizedek, you have men like Job, you have others who came to know the Lord, but not many Gentiles, not many Gentiles. But the message in the Old Testament was that with the coming of the Messiah, you could expect that many Gentiles would also come to have faith. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the covenant made with Abraham says, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you, Abraham, in you, in your seed, meaning Messiah, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's saying, Abraham, salvation is going to go beyond your clan, beyond your family. In you is the Messiah, and Through the Messiah, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a promise of Gentiles coming to faith in the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you, speaking of Israel, a light to the nations. That is a light to the Gentile nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God says that Israel will be a light to the nations, implying, of course, that the nations will come to faith in God's servant. And even the Jewish people understood this. In Christ's day, in Luke chapter 2, remember this man, Simeon, who was at the temple the day that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to dedicate him and bless him at the temple? Luke chapter 2, verse 25 And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, Thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What he was saying is that you reveal to me that I will not die until I see the Lord's Messiah, who is a light to the Gentiles, and he will bring many Gentiles to faith in him. So the fact that Gentiles would one day constitute part of God's people, that wasn't new. That wasn't the mystery. That wasn't anything new. That had been revealed in the Old Testament. Then what was the mystery? Now listen closely. What was now being revealed was that the Messiah would come to actually live in his people, specifically in Gentiles. He would come to live in his church, which was made up and still is made up predominantly of Gentiles. That's the mystery. The New Testament makes it very clear that Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, actually takes up residency in every Christian. 
whether you're Gentile or Jewish. But here he's concentrating on Gentiles because the church at Colossae primarily was a Gentile church. Paul said, don't you know in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus spoke in John 14. He said the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, a great verse that you should know. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The New Testament is very clear that Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, indwells us. Many other places. Ephesians 2 speaks of this. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. I mean, many places in the New Testament says that Christ actually indwells us. What a heavy thought. What a profound thought that God actually lives in you, that he lives in me, that we don't have a religion. We have a relationship with the living God. We have fellowship with him, but more. And this is Paul's point. And you could go off on so many tangents here, but we'll not do that. I mean, there's so many things you could say about Christ in us. But Paul's point is to say that more than a present relationship, Christ in you now is the guarantee and the assurance that you'll be with him in heaven. That's the mystery. The mystery is that he indwells you now, and the fact that he indwells you now is the assurance and guarantee that you will be with him in heaven. The hope of glory. In other words, Christ in you is the hope of glory in the sense that his presence today assures us that he's going to take you home to heaven when you die or when he raptures you. Same truth is brought out in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit in you is a pledge. And what is that pledge? It means a down payment. He's given the first down payment. You've had a foretaste of glory with the assurances if God gave you a little taste of it now, he's going to give you the full benefits of it when he takes you home and he redeems your body. That's the great truth. There's more to come. And this is one of the great verses and great truths to assure us that you can never lose your salvation. Those who say you can lose your salvation, they don't understand verses like this. They haven't studied and grasped what Paul is teaching. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Your mind may be saying, how is that the hope of glory? How do I really know? How do I have assurance that when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Paul is speaking about our faith, that we're justified, declared righteous in the sight of God by faith. And here are some of the benefits. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, you have peace. You have peace with God. The war is over. Number two, he says, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We've been given an introduction to the king. Number two. Number three, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the fact that we have hope, and hope means we have absolute confidence, not, you know, I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow, kind of a wish that I have, that type of thing. No, it's hope meaning confidence. Now you say, how do we get this hope of glory? How do we know for sure that we're going to be with the Lord? Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Now, what he's saying is this. One way you can know that you're really a Christian, that you've really come to believe in Jesus Christ, 
that you really have the assurance is that when you go through difficulties and tribulations and tough times and disappointments, it draws you closer to Christ. It's what develops perseverance in your life and steadfastness and you get drawn closer to the Savior. And as you're drawn closer to the Savior, you see Him working in your life, dealing with you in attitudes and submission and a yieldedness to His will, and you see growth and maturity, even though you may not feel like it because it's a struggle, but you see God working in your life and the difficulties, and you're not running away from Him. And when you see Christ at work in your life now, you go, I know it. He's in my life. I see it. And if He's in my life today, then I know that He's going to be with me forever. I love a good mystery, and Pastor Steve unveiled a great one, that Jesus Christ lives in us. Christ in you now is the guarantee and the assurance that you will be with Him in heaven. The fact that He indwells you now is the assurance and guarantee that you will be with Him in heaven. That is the hope of glory. Now, I trust you have been encouraged by today's verse-by-verse broadcast with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. He is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and you have an invitation to come and worship at Lakeside. If you would like more information about Lakeside Community Chapel, please visit lakesidechapel.com. On our next verse-by-verse broadcast, we're going to learn more about this mystery of Christ in us. Hope you can join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.